Chapter Twenty Seven of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. Off again. Doctor Kane's party came home, as we have seen, in the fall of eighteen fifty-five. Doctor Hayes, with whom we have become acquainted as one of that number, began immediately to present the desirableness of further exploration in the same direction to the scientific men of the country, and to the public generally. His object was to sail to the west side of Smith's Sound, instead of the east, as in the last voyage, and to gather additional facts concerning the currents, the aurora, the glaciers, the directions and intensity of the magnetic force, and so to aid in settling many interesting scientific questions. He aimed also, of course, to further peer into the mysteries of the open polar sea. These efforts resulted in the fitting out for this purpose, in the summer of 1860, the schooner United States, and the appointment of Dr. Hayes as commander. She left Boston July 6, manned by fourteen persons all told. The vessel was small, but made for Arctic warfare, and as she turned her prow north poleward, she bore a defiant spirit, and like all inexperienced warriors, reckoned the victory already hers. But if the vessel was green, her commander was not. He was well able to help her in the coming battle with icebergs and floes. Among her men were only two, besides the doctor, who had seen Arctic service, one of whom was Professor August Sontag, who had been of Kane's party, and had also been of the number, who accompanied Dr. Hayes in the attempt to escape. Of the rest of the crew were two young men, nearly of an age, about eighteen, who are represented as joining the expedition, because they would, and in love of adventure. Their names were George F. Knorr, commander's clerk, and Collins C. Starr. Both pressed their desire to go upon Dr. Hayes, and Starr told him that he would go in any capacity. The commander told him he might go in the forecastle with the common sailors, and the next day, to the surprise of the doctor, he found him on board, manfully at work with the roughest of the men, having doffed his silk hat, fine broadcloth, and shining boots of the elegant young man of the day before. The commander was so pleased with his spirit that he promoted him on the spot, sending him off to be sailing master's mate. In a little less than four weeks of prosperous sailing, the United States was at the Danish port of Proven, Greenland. It was the intention of the commander to get a supply here of the indispensable dog teams. But disease had raged among them, and none could be bought. The vessel was delayed in order that the chief trader, Mr. Hansen, who was daily expected from Upernavik, might be consulted in the matter. When he arrived, he gave a gloomy account of the dog-market, but kindly gave the expedition his own teams. The couriers which had been sent out to scour the country for others returned with four old dogs and a less number of good ones. On the evening of the 12th of August, the explorers arrived at Upernavik. The Danish brig Thialfi lay at anchor in the harbour, about to sail for Copenhagen, with a cargo of skins and oil. 
so the first letters to the dear ones at home were hastily written to send by her. They bore sad news to at least one family circle. Mr. Gibson Caruther retired to his berth well on the evening of their arrival, and in the morning was found dead. He had escaped the perils of the first Grinnell expedition under Captain De Haven, to die thus suddenly, ere those of his second voyage had begun. He was beloved, able, and intelligent, and his death was a great loss to the enterprise. His companions laid him away in the mission burial ground, the missionary, Mr. Anton, officiating. Before leaving Upernavik, Dr. Hayes secured the services of an Eskimo interpreter, one Peter Jensen, who brought on board with him one of the best dog-teams of the country. And soon after he came, two more Eskimo hunters and dog-drivers were enlisted, and a still better addition to expedition were two Danish sailors, one of whom is our old friend, whom we left here some five years ago, rejoicing in reunion with wife and children, Carl Christian Petersen. Petersen enlisted as carpenter as well as sailor. With these six persons added to her company, making it twenty in all, the United States left Upernavik to enter upon the earnest work of the expedition. The settlement had scarcely faded in the distance, when the icebergs were seen marshalling their forces to give the little voyager battle. A long line of them was formed just across her course, some more than two hundred feet high and a mile long. They were numberless, and at a distance seemed to make a solid, jagged ice wall. When the schooner was fairly in among them, the sunlight was shut out, as it is from the traveller in a dense forest. She felt the wind in a cat's paw, now and then, and so the helm lost its control of her, and she went banging against first one berg and then another. The bergs themselves minded not the little breeze which was blowing, but swept majestically along by the undercurrent. The navigators were kept on the alert to keep the vessel from fatal collision with its huge, cold, defiant enemies, as the surface current drove it helplessly onward. Sometimes, as they approached one, the boats were lowered, and the vessel was towed away from danger. At another crisis, as it neared one berg, an anchor was planted in another in an opposite direction, and she was warped into a place of security. Occasionally they tied up to a berg and waited for a chance for progress. While thus beset with dangers, there were occasions of some pleasant excitement. The birds were abundant and of many varieties, affording sport for the hunters and fresh food for the table. The seals sported in the clear water and were shot for the larder of the dogs, and Dr. Hayes and Professor Sontag found employment with their scientific instruments. Such had been the state of things for four days, when one morning the vessel was borne towards a large berg, of a kind the sailors called touch-me-nots. It was an old voyager whose jagged sides, high towers, deep valleys, and swelling hills showed that time, the sun, and the tides had laid their hands upon it. Such bergs are about as good neighbors as an avalanche on a mountainside, just ready for a run into the valley below. 
warps and towboats, instantly and vigorously used, failed to stop the schooner's headway. She touched the berg, and down dropped fragments of it larger than the vessel, followed by a shower of smaller pieces, but they went clear of the vessel. Now the berg began to revolve, turning towards the explorers, and as its towering sides settled slowly over them, fragments poured upon the deck, a fearful hailstorm. There was no safety for the men except in the forecastle, and there appeared to be no escape for the schooner. But just in time an immense section of the base of the berg, which seemed to be far below the water-line, broke off, and rose to the surface with a sudden rush, which threw the sea into violent commotion. The balance of the berg was changed, it paused, and then began, slowly at first, but with increasing rapidity, to turn in the opposite direction. If this was intended as a retreat of the bergy foe, it defended well its rear. At its base, from which the piece had just been broken, was an icy projection towards the vessel. As the berg revolved, this tongue came up and struck the keel. It seemed intent upon tossing the vessel into the air, or rolling her over and leaving her bottom side up upon the sea. The men seized their poles and pushed vigorously to launch the vessel from the perilous position, but in vain. Just in time again, the unseen hand interfered for their deliverance. Deafening reports, like a park of artillery, saluted their ears, and a misty smoke arose above the berg. Its opposite side was breaking up and launching its towering peaks into the sea. The berg paused again and began to roll back, and thus for the moment released the vessel. The boat had in the meantime fastened an anchor in a grounded berg, and the welcome shout came, Haul in! Steadily and with a will the men drew upon the rope, and the vessel moved slowly from the scene of danger, not, however, before returning top of the berg had launched upon her deck a shower of ice fragments. In fearful assurance that its whole side would soon follow, and bury them as the shepherd's hut is buried by a mountain slide. A few moments later, and the side came down with a tremendous crash, sending its spray over the escaped vessel, and tossing it as the driftwood is tossed in the eddies beneath a waterfall. All that day the roar of the icy cannon was continued, as if a naval battle was in progress for the Empire of the North, and berg after berg went down, strewing the sea with their shattered fragments, while misty clouds floated over the field of conflict. End of chapter 27